Well, uh, good morning again. This is Nehemiah part two. In case you weren't here last week, we did part one last week. We go in order usually with part one, two, and so on. We're very strategic that way. We think ahead. This is part two of Nehemiah. In case you missed last week, uh, Ben did an amazing job of setting up this series. There's so much historical background to understanding this man named Nehemiah, who he was the world he grew up in, and um, just all that historical background. And so if you're a history person and you, and you like that stuff, definitely go online if you missed last week. Uh, the message is right there and you can uh, watch it. Um, and so that was uh, the, kind of the historical context. If you weren't here last week, just to kind of get you up to speed, Nehemiah was a man who lived about 450 years before Jesus was born, about 450 B.C. And his situation was simply this. He was a Jewish person was living in exile. He was actually cupbearer to the king of Persia who ruled most of the world at that time. And the thing with Nehemiah was even though he lived in Susa, which was 800 miles from Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the heart and core of the Jewish people, he had heard about how Jerusalem was lying in ruins. And the capital city, the, the, main, the main center of where Jewish people should have lived was lying in disgrace in ruins. And so he was heartbroken so much that he wanted to do something about it. And if you were here last week, the, the, the question that we kind of let off with but also ended with was the same one. The question was, what breaks your heart? And I'm sure last week, if you were here, you started to think a little bit and you thought about some of the issues or the causes that your heart drifts towards because you just don't want to see these things happen or you want to make sure they don't happen. And, and maybe your heart was already thinking about some things. But if you thought about this during the week, I'm thinking that this question became a little bit more complicated. In our day and age, all you need is a little push notification in your pocket to hear about every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a volcano, every time there's a shooting, every time there's political unrest in a, in a certain place, every time there's a famine, every time there's anything, a tsunami. We get these notifications about all these bad things that happen, and we can get so heartbroken so often. Let's put it this way. If, if you were to think about all the things that you could be heartbroken over, you could say, well, there's just so many good places and good organizations that try to help people. So to, to the point where anything that helps people is, is kind of tugging on my heart and breaking my heart. And then you start to think, well, what are the places that help people? <laughs> there's a lot of them, aren't there? A lot of places help people to the point where there are even places that help people help people. Like there are places that you can donate to and they help organize groups of people to go and help other people. So you're basically helping people help people in those, in those situations. And in some organizations, they really focus on the specific need. And so you're helping people that help people who need help. And you kind of think about the specific need of help that this person needs or that person needs. And then some people don't even want help. And so you need to help people help people who need help getting help. And you start to swim through all these organizations and nonprofits and places that seek to help people who, all the, whatever, you know, the five helps you can think of. And your heart just begins to overflow with all this heartbreak. Like, where do I start? So much so that maybe you even left last week thinking this is a better question than what we asked. What doesn't break my heart? How can I possibly pay attention to all these things in the world and say, okay, this is my one thing, or this is what I will do? 
I fear what we often do instead of that is we become paralyzed to all of it. Every push notification you see, every news story you see, it's like, oh, there it is again. We, we kind of put up these walls around our hearts so that we're not bothered by it. And we, we try to make ourselves feel better saying there's other people helping. The government is helping. The army is helping. But me, I'm just so brokenhearted over so many things. Well, how can I just pick one? And if that's you today, here's what I want to start with. And it's simply this. When you feel paralyzed by all the things out there that could break your heart, I just want you to think back on who you are, especially if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the depths to which he loved your cause to help you. Even though you didn't want help or ask for help, he came here to help you, and that included him living a perfect life, dying as your substitute, defeating death for you, and then basically coming to you and saying, here you go, it's yours as a gift, enjoy it. When you dive into the depth of his love, you will not be satisfied doing nothing. Or here it is for number one on your sheet. The love of, the love of Christ leaves you dissatisfied with doing nothing which puts us between a rock and a hard place. There's so many things we can do, we're paralyzed by it, but we don't want to do nothing at the same time. And what we do do, we want to make meaningful and full of purpose. So, as we get into Nehemiah chapter 2 today, if, if you've ever encountered that struggle, maybe you just feel kind of lost. Like, what is your purpose? Where should I go? What should I do with all the things that break my heart? Nehemiah chapter 2 is going to provide exceptional clarity to this area of your life. Before we get too far into chapter 2, I'm going to draw out one detail from chapter 1 because it's going to help us understand a little bit more about Nehemiah and what broke his heart and what he did about it. This is from chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning. As Nehemiah writes this from his own perspective, he says, These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. He says, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. He provides the historical context for when he first heard about Jerusalem's plight, how the walls were broken down, and how he was heartbroken over it. Just remember that. It started in Kislev. You got that in your Google calendar, month of Kislev? You got that all figured out? Um, for us, it would basically be December. So the month of December in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. This happened. So he gets heartbroken. And he's convinced, which I believe too, he's convinced that this was not just a cause that he dreamed up. This was a cause that God had placed in his heart to actually do something about. Month of Kislev in, in December. Here's how chapter 2 begins. In the month of Nisan, in the, again, the 20th year, Nisan. So there's Kislev, there's, I, I forgot all the Hebrew names. I tried to memorize them to impress you, but then I forgot them. So there's, so there's um, Kislev, which is the one I remembered. Then there's another one, there's another one, and there's another one, and then there's Nisan. If it was two months, I could have remembered them. But um, So four months apart. So Chapter 1 is December. Chapter, four is, or chapter 2 is April. Just think about that for a moment. He had this mission from God on his heart that broke his heart. And he was carrying this burden for four months. What was he doing? Heartbroken for four months. What was God doing in him for four months? 
We're going to see in just a moment. It was the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was brought for, uh, for him. I took the wine and gave it to the king. Last week we saw how Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia, which as I look at it, it seems like he was somewhere between vice president and head of secret service in our, in our context. So he, had, he, he knew the king of Persia well. The king of Persia was vulnerable to him. And, and Nehemiah had this close way that he got to serve the king by serving him wine and making sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was actually a high level of, of uh, public trust there. So he brought the wine to him. Translation, this was a normal day for Nehemiah. It's just that he remembers the month and he remembers the day because of what's about to happen. Before we get there, just one thing, one thing. He had to wait four months. How long have you had to wait with a heartbreak, with a cause on your heart that you just wish you could do something about, but there's, you just can't see how to go forward with it? Or let me put it this way, for Nehemiah, for Nehemiah, he probably looked at his present circumstances, which were outside of his control, and he said, I am the cupbearer to the king of Persia. I live in Susa. How in the world can I possibly help the people in Jerusalem 800 miles away? It's not like the king of Persia is just going to let me go when I know all of his security detail, when I know his, where he's most vulnerable. They're not just going to let me go. So he must have been thinking, well, my present circumstances just don't allow this to happen. And some of you might, think, might be thinking the same thing. You're saying, I'd just love to do this. I'd love to make a difference. I'd love to join that movement or to do this cause. But just my present circumstances are outside my control, and I can't do what I want to do. We can take it another level than that. See, some of us here, we've, we've been saying, well, it's not just my present circumstances out of my control. It's my regrets, from, my regrets from the past where I lost control that make me disqualified to do anything about this cause that's on my heart. We can find all these reasons, all these reasons why there's no way we can do anything that maybe we're feeling that God is moving us to do. And if that's you, I just want to remember, I want you to remember one thing that, that we get from the story of Nehemiah. It's this. God can do anything through you. Perhaps all he requires from you is some time. Nehemiah had four months to sit on this heartbreak and to carry around that burden with him. And I want you to know those four months were by no means wasted as we're about to see. And just because you've been heartbroken over something, maybe it was a cause just because you've been heartbroken over it and it's been a long time and you can't see how your present circumstances will allow you to do it, don't write it off. God can do anything through you. And perhaps he's using the time that you've had in this circumstance to be able to form a way through it. He's the God who can use the circumstances of the present. And he's the God who can even work through your regrets from the past. And as we unfold Nehemiah, we're going to see the, the wisdom and, and the good that God can do, when maybe he says, I just require from you some time before we can make this big, big movement. Here's what it looked like for Nehemiah. Chapters one, I'm sorry, chapter two, again, um, he says, I took the wine, it was just a normal day, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And he says this, I had not been sad in the presence of the king before. So the king asked me, 
Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. This can be nothing but heartbroken. He was showing it on the outside finally. And you, maybe you were thinking, oh, great, this is awesome. This is Nehemiah's chance to, you know, spill his big vision and dream about what he wanted to do in Jerusalem. But there were a couple of big factors that would have made this a bad observation by the king. Number one, you are not sad in the presence of the king of Persia. Because if you're sad in his presence, that communicates that he makes you sad. That his presence makes you sad. Uh, you don't like him or you don't agree with him. And, and if you're sad in his presence, that was enough reason for him to kill you. So he noticed, I see you're sad. This is a sadness of heart. This is a deeper issue than you just being sick. What's going on here? And the second thing is, Nehemiah's like, well, it's not like I can just tell him my mission and my vision and walk away because, hello, I'm secret service. I know all of his security threats, and if someone were to kidnap me and torture me, what secrets could I let them have? So that explains why the next verse, I love how Nehemiah is just so much of an open window. He's like, I was very much afraid. That's his conclusion to it. The king noticed I was sad. I was very much afraid. And here's why. Although this would be the opportunity for for Nehemiah to finally do what he wanted to do, He was not expecting this. This was not his plan for the king of Persia to notice he was sad. This scared him because this was not his plan. This was part of God's plan. And when God opens up a door and God opens up an opportunity, it will probably scare you because we are afraid of uncertainty. But God knows what's on the other side. And when he opens a door, it's for a reason. And so as you read through Nehemiah chapter 2, it's like Nehemiah collects his thoughts. He even says that he prays. It must have been a really short prayer because he's right there in the presence of the king. Um, But Nehemiah kind of verbally vomits out all of the stuff on his heart. He's like, why should I not be afraid or why should I not be sad? My hometown, Jerusalem, where my fathers and forefathers are buried, it lies in ruins. Why should I not be sad? And he just unloads onto the king of Persia. And maybe as he gets it all out, he's saying, well, that was kind of foolish. I shouldn't have done that. But here's the amazing thing. God was working through this account to get him to where he needed to be. Here's what uh, verse 4 said. The king replied to him, how can I help? Nehemiah, what is it that you need? And in this moment, he'd been (laughs) wrestling with this for months. And he'd been thinking and praying from Kislev all the way through, through, uh, what's the other month? I can't even remember the other month now. Uh, Yeah, that one. Um, He'd been thinking through these four months and praying through these four months. And all this time, his mind was just focused on the resources he had and what he could do. And now all of a sudden, the the resources of the Persian Empire were at his disposal. And it's here we, we realize that it's not that just Nehemiah was waiting for God to say, okay, Nehemiah, here's, here's what you need, here's your luggage, here's where you're going. Come on, Nehemiah, here we go. He wasn't waiting for God to do everything. But in this moment of waiting, he was thinking and praying and planning and visioning what it would look like to help Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem regain their glory. So much so that when the king of Persia asked this question, Nehemiah had an educated response. 
He asked for some things very specifically. First thing that uh, he asked for is for permission to go to Jerusalem, which was a big thing to ask for. Hey, head of your security, can I just leave and go 800 miles on a trip to Jerusalem? And the king of Persia asked one thing. He said, how long do you need? It also mentions, if you read through Nehemiah 2, that the, it's a really weird Hebrew word, but it, it mentions that the queen or the mother queen was sitting next to the king, which some think might actually mean it's a reference to this woman named Esther, who herself was a Jew, and you can read all about her in the Bible too. Another great story. Um, but Nehemiah in that moment says, would you let me go? And he says, how long? And Nehemiah says, well, this is how long I'll need to accomplish what I want to do. He was planning, he was thinking, and he had an educated answer to what the king was asking. And as he thought this through, he had already thought this through, but as he's talking to the king, he says, before I go, there's a few things that I have to ask as a favor. Number one, could you give me a work visa? Because I'm sure that when people see this lonely Jew wandering around in Jerusalem and traveling to and from, they're going to be asking me, hey, did the king say you could do this? So if you could give me a work visa just to show people documentation that I have my papers in order, that would be great. Then he's thinking ahead, okay, once I get there, I'm going to need more stuff. And so he says, as long as, as long as I'm at it, I need some materials so I can help build the citadel gates. And when I get there, there's going to be some gates. I need some wood. There's this guy at the construction yard named Asaph. He probably won't believe me. Could you just write me a note, a letter, so that Asaph knows it's okay for me to get this lumber and this timber from him? Speaking of lumber and timber, I need some materials to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem, if you could toss that in. And as long as I'm at it, I'm going to be living in a house there, so if I could get some timber and lumber to help build my house, that'd be great too. He knew all the things that needed to happen once he got to Jerusalem, because if you just go there and not have a plan, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Here's the amazing thing. God so much opened up the heart of Artaxerxes. That Artaxerxes said yes, 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 and yes to all of these requests. And then he said, as long as we're at it, Nehemiah, I've got one more thing that might help you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and send a cavalry escort with you. You can drive the company car. You can take the company jet. It's an 800-mile trip, man. You're not going to be able to walk that thing. At least let us send the cavalry with you so you can have an escort and so you can have something nice to ride on along the way. And all the, all the meanwhile, Nehemiah has to be thinking, where did this come from? And why did I not ask for, you know, a few pieces of gold or whatever? Maybe he's thinking I should have asked for more. There's always that seller's remorse, right, when you think you should have asked more. Anyway, um, so Nehemiah's like, wow, this is just amazing, the way that God has been working through this. But just keep this in mind. Nehemiah already had a plan and a vision when God opened the door for him to walk through. And that continues. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11, he finally gets to Jerusalem. We don't know how long it took. It took a while, but it says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, <clears throat> three days, he, <laughs> he waited four months and then he traveled 800 miles, all to get there for three days. And, and what did he do for three days? It just, it just says, I just stayed there three days and did nothing. But during those three days, if, if you kind of look at the context, what's pretty clear is that he's not just sitting in the Jerusalem bar, you know, tasting their beer and stuff. Although, as the cupbearer, maybe he did taste their wine, just to, it's kind of his job. 
But during those three days, it seems like he was meeting people in Jerusalem, connecting with the local leaders, getting to know them, and seeing what was available and what things were like. He was learning, which is so important. If you feel God has put a cause on your heart or if you want to make a difference somehow, step one is not to just run in guns ablaze and telling people what to do, but step one is to step into that situation and learn, just to wait, to meet people. See what the situation is like before you take any steps forward. Three days, three days, he just did that. Then verse 13, the next thing he did was, uh, by night, he says, I went out through the valley gate. And it's cool because when you read through it, he lists all the gates, all the different parts. One of them is called Dung Gate, so I didn't want to put it up on the screen. But he lists all the different parts of the wall where he traveled around and visited. Um, He was examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. He was gathering information, learning, learning, learning. Because when he was moved to make a difference in this way, he wanted to come forward with a plan that would work. So he took time by night just to go out and look at things. Now this next part is pretty interesting. Verse 16. The the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. And you can see the wisdom in that, right? I'll make an application real quick. But you can see the wisdom in this. If he had just showed up and said, hey, guys, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm Nehemiah. I'm cupbearer to the king of Persia, and I've had this vision. I'm going to help build the wall. Um, Let's figure out what we're doing here. The people probably would have stepped back and said, dude, you have no idea what's going on here. The walls of Jerusalem stretched for 2.5 miles if you walked along the entire perimeter of it. 40 feet tall, 8 feet thick. If you just show up and say, hey, we're going to make a difference here, you need to do some research first. And here's where I want to make an application. If God has put something on your heart, or if you interpret it that way, that God has put something on your heart and you want to make a difference, you want to do something, so often what we want to do is just get out there and do it and and just start working and make a difference and get other people along and, and do all this stuff. And you might even say, it's a God thing. God doesn't need any plans. He doesn't need me to write this out. He's just going to bless it and see it through, and we can take that direction. But here's an observation that Nehemiah knew well and what you and I also need to be reminded of when we're passionate about certain things. You see, God does not need our plans, but the people he surrounds us with do. If we're really part of a cause and part of a movement, chances are that movement includes other people. And what often needs to happen is we need to make plans so other people know what we're doing. That's just wise stewardship, and it's good use of resources and good use of time. And even though you might be so passionate just to get out and do something, there is wisdom in waiting. Just waiting to, to learn, to plan, to get to know people, and to set forth some blueprints. As we continue here, this last part, we're going to bring this all together soon. This last part, when it comes to identifying what you should be about and what your cause is, This is where everything hinges. 2.5 miles of wall that's 40 feet tall, they don't get repaired by one man. Everything here hinges upon how the people will react when Nehemiah breaks the news to them. 
hey, guys, here's why I'm here. So let's learn from his direction. This is what he tells them. You see, stop there. You can see this. I didn't come here to tell you something you didn't know. You all can just see this with your own eyes. The walls of Jerusalem are compromised. There are holes in it. The gates are burned down. You see this. And what a good leader does is he points out the problem. You see this. Here's what the issue is. And then he takes another step. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. This wasn't a I want this or God put on my heart thing. This is a, an us and a we thing if it wants to be done. This is why I want to do this, he's basically telling them. But he doesn't stop there. This is the important part and this is the step where I think we can often skip a step or two. This is the thing. Verse 18, he says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Maybe he even broke out the work visa, the documentation, the right to get timber from Asaph. He broke out all these things and said, look at what the king has done for me. Look at how God has graciously been guiding me in this. And, and as they paused to think, maybe it would dawn on them, yeah, this is kind of an important city that we're talking about here. This is the heart of Jewish culture. More than that, this is the center of a people whom God has promised would birth the Savior of this world. Centuries before, God promised Abraham that he would bless all peoples on earth through his descendants. And that promise had yet to be kept. And so as they thought about that, they said this is a promise from God that we can hold him to. And that's where we need to pause and make that step also. If, if you're passionate about a cause, if, if you believe that God has put it in your heart to do something, here's the true test to that. Does it hang on one of his promises? And as you look through scripture, he's pretty clear what his promises are. His will is that all people would be saved. That's his will. So if you have a cause or a movement that's in line with that, you can hold God to that. That's his wish. That's his desire. As you think about your cause or what breaks your heart, what promise of God can you hold on to through it? Because when you have that, you have the start to something big. For Nehemiah, as he told the people this, here's the amazing thing. We, we see this in hindsight, but about 450 years later, as Nehemiah rounded up these people and gave them this speech, about 450 years later is when the descendant of Abraham would start walking those streets of Jerusalem, meeting people, talking to people, reminding them of this great vision God had for all mankind and reminding them that that the promised Savior was the answer to all the issues and all the problems that people had. Those walls of Jerusalem, the temple is, is right where Jesus would walk. And one day he would be led just outside of Jerusalem in plain sight of the walls of the city of everything. And there he would be lifted up as a sacrifice for all the people who lived there and for all people of all time. As the people in Nehemiah's day thought about that promise that God would bless all nations through that one man, they said, we're in. Count us in. 
Uh, last verse here. They replied, let us start rebuilding. We don't need any more. Let's just start. Let's grab the hammers. Let's grab the wood. Let's grab the materials. Let's start. And so Nehemiah says, they began this good work. And so they began. They began to accomplish this, this mission, this vision to which God had called Nehemiah to do. Cool story. Cool story. But what about yours? What breaks your heart? What doesn't break your heart? You see, the thing that hinges in Nehemiah's story is the same thing that that hinges in your story and in my story. Because the truth is, for Nehemiah, he got so caught up in those four months, and he knew the what that he wanted to do. He knew what needed to happen. He knew how the timber would work. He knew what steps he needed to take. He had no idea how it would happen until that moment. Our Xerxes asked him, what's wrong? Why the long face? You see, for you and for me, whatever's on your heart, you can take steps today to understand the what. God has called you in your unique space, in your unique life, with your unique circumstances and your unique past to make a difference in someone else's life somehow. And maybe your cause includes one person. Maybe your movement calls for a neighborhood block. Whatever it is, You might not know the how or how God will open the door, but he will. In fact, I'll put it this way. The question isn't if God will provide an opportunity. God will provide an opportunity. He will open the door. He will make the king ask you what's wrong. And and you're going to be frightened because you knew the what, but you were not sure how the how was going to open up. But when that how happens, there's only going to be one question left to wonder. It's not if God will provide an opportunity. It's Do you have the capacity to walk through that door? Do you have the capacity? Last thing, number four on your sheets, give yourself some room to move. Give yourself some room to move. If you want to start a movement, if you want to have a clear vision for your life, a clear purpose, whether it's a one-person thing or a citywide thing, whatever your purpose is, would you give yourself some room to move? You see, Nehemiah's story would have ended much differently and much shorter if he had told the people his big story, his big plan, and God's promise. But then all the people said, sorry, it's planting season. We got to plant some crops. We can't help you. Chapter 2, Nehemiah's story, done. (laughs) But these people had the capacity to say, yes, we can help with this. It is so important. We can do this. Where do you need to give yourself some room to move? When it comes to your personal purpose given to you by God, which maybe you haven't figured out yet, maybe you know the what but not the how, where do you need to give yourself some room to move so that when the opportunity comes, you can actually walk through it? Some of you, maybe it's a financial room to move where you've, you've even thought of issues in the past where you're like, man, I wish I could have helped that person. I wish I could have helped this cause or join that movement, whatever it was. I just had, I had no money. I spent it all. I didn't have anything. Maybe you need some room to move when it comes financially. Maybe you need some room to move um, with your schedule. I'd love to help. Wish I could help. Man, that family down the street, they're going through tough times. I wish I could mow their lawn. I just, I'm booked through next Saturday. Sorry, I can't do it. Maybe we just need to create some room to move in our schedules. Maybe we need to create some room to move relationally. Maybe we need to create some room to move um, in your careers or in your families. If there's a certain cause that, that moves you, a cause where you can help people 
help people who need help, then maybe it's time to create the, the, the room so that you can actually move when God opens that door. And I want you to do this just remembering this. The kind of love that your Savior showed you leaves you dissatisfied doing nothing. And just because your current circumstances beyond your control make it hard to do something, maybe the only thing God requires of you is some time to get ready. And even though God doesn't require a plan, the people around you do and the people that you want to help do. And so take your time to plan through it. And as you do so, maybe your plan requires you to make some room to move. Because that's what your heavenly father did for you. He created room to move in this world when he sent his son into it. He gave himself the time. He gave himself literally time as a human being to live and to walk in your place. He created room to move when, he, when Jesus humbled himself and set aside the use of his power and his authority and his everything so that he could just give up his life for you. He gave himself some room when he left that tomb. Someday you will too. When you remember the depths of his love, you'll be dissatisfied doing nothing. And maybe your personal mission, your personal vision today is simply to let God have some time with you to see how your past circumstances and your current circumstances might line up with a way that he can do some amazing things through you. Just do something. Here's the last thing for today. When you identify how God can make an impact through you and you start to take a step to make some room to actually accomplish it, you will be met with conflict, both from the people around you, the world around you, and even conflict from within. And next week, we'll start to talk about what to do when you're following your mission and when you're starting that movement, but you're met with some conflict that you don't know how to handle. We'll talk about that next week. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving in us this, this desire to want to go out and to make a difference in, maybe it's just one person we know, maybe it's, maybe it's a neighborhood or a community, but you instill that in us because the love that Jesus showed us compels us to do something, even if we can't do everything. Give us that zeal and also give us that knowledge to be able to, to identify how we can make an impact and what it looks like and the people that we need to surround ourselves with and the plan necessary to get that movement going. Help us as a church to continue to identify new ways and continue, continuous ways that we can gather together around the causes and the movements that matter the most. And those are the ones that lead people to, to you. Bless all of us. Bless our ministry. I pray all that in Jesus' name.